Welcome. Glad you're here this morning. I hope you guys are doing well this morning. And uh, if you have your, your Bibles, I'd love for you to, or your uh, James journals, flip to James uh, chapter 1, verse 18. And we're going to go to 18. We were there last week. We're going to go there again this week. And then we're going to try to get to 27. If I was to sit there and tell you that I'm going to write you a letter because of what you've been through, trials, temptations, all those kinds of things. If I was to sit there and think, oh my gosh, you're really going through a lot, I, I think that I would write a letter, and I'm not trying to be noble or trying to be better than anyone else, but I'd, li- I'd write a letter to say, hey man, let's just hug it up. I feel your pain. I understand what you're going through. Let's just hug it up. That's not what James does. And that's not what Peter did when they were going through suffering, and he writes them two letters on how to do what? How to persevere through suffering. And so James is writing a letter Because he is greatly concerned over those who profess to be followers of Jesus and are not living like it. And so it is not that this message or this message is more heavy and want to be dramatic, but I will tell you that I have really, really wrestled with um, this message this week, the heaviness, and I have given this to the Spirit of God and just asked the Lord through this message that he would confront who needs to be confronted and he would assure who needs to be assured. And I'm fully confident that's what he's gonna do today. And so as we jump into this, this book, we need to be very careful because James says the name of Jesus two times. And so when you read the book and you see that he only uses the name Jesus twice, You can start reading those things about what we should do and shouldn't do and look at it in a moralistic, therapeutic way. And that's incredibly dangerous. And the danger behind that is because we'll have wisdom to do this, but that wisdom, it's not rooted in God. And what God desires us to do is to root the wisdom. Or He says, ask me and I will generously give you this wisdom to know what you should do. But if we're not careful, we can look at this and just go, do this and do this and do this and not have it firmly rooted in the God of creation. And I think that that's something that we have to understand as we approach this. If you really want to understand the book of James, we have to understand that the book of James is really a long application of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And he's just expounding upon that in a much deeper way. And so what I thought we would do before we get to verse 18 is we would go to to Matthew chapter 7, 24 to 27, and we would just sort of read what Matthew says and then what James is going to expound on in this text. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, it says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain came, the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And so here's what he's saying right now. I want you, he's looking at these Jewish believers right now. Matthew is writing to them and he's saying, I want you to build your life upon the rock. I want you to firmly place everything that is in you. I want you to treasure him. I want you to follow him. I want you to know what he says and then I want you to do that. 
And I want you to put everything you've got on him. He's dependable. He's faithful. He's good. He hears. He cares. He loves. He's good. For the goodness of God was chasing us down. And so James looks at this and says, hey, I'm going to take that was said and I'm going to expound upon that. And I'm going to write a letter to the churches. Really, the reason I'm going to do that is because I'm really concerned. I am writing this to believers who have said, I am a follower of God, but they're not living like that. And so he comes and he really comes to the question, well, then are you really a follower? Are you truly saved? He doesn't mention in this text, well, hey, listen, I, I asked Jesus to come in my heart. He doesn't say that. He doesn't talk about walking an aisle at summer camp. He doesn't mention repeating a prayer. He asks the question, are you a hearer and a doer. And so today, our, our big idea for this morning is, are you a hearer and are you a doer? Plain and simple. And again, I have given this over to the Lord and I'm asking King Jesus to sit there through the power of the Holy Spirit to confront who needs to be confronted and to assure those who need to be assured. And I completely am in absolute confidence that that is what he's going to do today. And so I want to go ahead and I want to pray for us as we jump in. God, we recognize that there was no one like you. There are no words that we have right now that adequately capture the wonder of your redeeming power. There is no one like you. There's no one that knows what you know. There is no one that is able to do what you do. You've reigned over all that is. You do with your creation whatever you want. And Lord, no one can question that. No one has the power to stop your hand and you turn hardships to rescue. You turn suffering into redemption and out of trials, you bring transformation and we are all grateful for those. Out of our weakness, you allow us to grow strong and out of death, you bring life. God, we know that you cause idolaters to bow in worship I am one of those. Every day you make alive what was dead and every day you redeem what we think is beyond redemption. Why? Because there's no one like you and we don't have enough words to capture all of that today. So God, we not rest on our past, but may we listen today about our own personal salvation. May you move among us and may we listen and do as you ask us to do. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 18 is, the, is, is a great start for us to really unpack all that's going on. We, we talked about this a little bit last week. We're going to talk about it right now. It says this in verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. This is a beautiful statement. It's a bold declaration that God in his sovereignty, God in his it's his, ordin- his preordination of the world, his foreknowledge, his, his, his understanding of everything. He comes and he says, by his grace, he brought us forth. He knew that. He did that. He awakened dead people to come to life. If we really want to understand what he's doing, God is on a redemption mission. And he's going to redeem things, all things. But the first and foremost thing that he's going to redeem is you and I. He's entered into a covenant relationship with you and I. How is that possible? By his own will, he brought us forth. How? By the word of truth, by the gospel, says that Jesus alone saves. 
period. You were dead, he made us alive. Ephesians 2, we taught that a month ago. You were dead, but God, in his great love and mercy, made us alive with him. And so here's what he's trying to do, and what he's trying to say is, hey, of his own will, this was God's doing, this is what he did to you, okay? He's on a redemption mission, and you are the first fruits of his harvest. That's who you are. That's what we're supposed to be. That's what I want you to be. That is what I died for you to be, to be the first fruits, to be the model. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to give us a picture. Here's a quote for you. We are to be the model home of what the neighborhood of heaven is going to look like. This is what God is doing. This is our identity. We're a picture of what he is doing, or we should be a picture of what he is doing. And let me just give you an example this morning. So let's just picture for a moment that Alex Braswell decides, I want to play the drums. Alex played the drums this morning, but work with the illustration here. Alex wants to play the drums, and so what do we do with Alex? We, take Al- we don't take Alex and say, hey, Alex, these are sticks. This is a symbol. You've never seen somebody play the drums before. We've never l- like, let you do that. What we're doing is we want you to be able to, to play the drums, and so we're going to teach you the intricacies of the drums. No, you know what we did? We gave him a picture. We put Alex next to Adam, and Adam can really play the drums. And so Adam is a, a picture of a drummer. For those of you who don't know, Adam is our student pastor here. And so what I'm trying to do for you right now is, hey, Alex, we want you to learn how to play the drums. What do we do? We don't sit him behind the drums and try to start hitting. We, we sit there and show him someone who's playing the drum. And he goes, man, I want to do that. So what James is trying to sit there and say is, hey, I'm on a redeeming ma- mission. I'm on a redeeming mission. I'm going to redeem all things of myself. And you are the first fruits of what I'm trying to do right now. And I want you to be a picture of what I'm trying to do. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm asking you to make progress in your journey right now. But you are a picture because I think what James recognizes and what we recognize is that rules do not transform. Pictures transform. And there is a picture that we have of what he wants us to look like. What happens? God is like, I want to redeem people to myself. I want to give them a picture of what it looks like. And you, you are to be that picture for my sake and for your good. This verse is key by his own will. By his own will, it was God's desire, it was God's design, it was God's plan. And then James spends the rest of his letter showing us how we are to live like that model or live like this picture. Really, today's message really sets us up for the rest of the the, the letter. And so let's go to verse 19. Knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. There is an urgency at the very start right now. He tells them, you're my first fruits. I have done this so that you would be a trophy of my grace to people. And then he says, know this, my beloved brothers. You notice this? When he says, know this, there's urgency. When he says, my beloved brothers, there's love. There's an urgent love that James has for them. He says, what what I'm seeing right now, you have said yes, but you're living like no. So what are you doing? Well, my brothers, let every person be quick to hear. He singles these things out. You, You want to be quick to hear. They struggled with listening. A lot of times we're looking at the next thing we're going to say in a conversation. You're just waiting for them to stop talking, right? So that you can talk. Either we don't hear it, we don't ponder it, we don't consider it, we don't receive it. And we don't plan it. What, 
What he's saying is, is what you don't need is more information, guys. What you need is more receptivity to the information that you have coming in. So I also want you to be slow to speak. I want you to stop being a chatterbox for crying out loud. I, 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 want, you to li- I want you to listen. One of the greatest ways that can stunt our growth in Christ is by not listening to those that we come in contact with. And these are some things that James is pointing out. And he says, hey, I want you to be slow to anger. Some of us are like a roller coaster at Bush Gardens when it comes to anger. This brand new ride goes zero to 60 in two and a half seconds. And actually, when it comes to anger, that's probably a little bit too long for us. It's actually maybe one to one and a half second. And guys, listen to me. That's us. Call a spade a spade, right? Let's just be honest. We get frustrated. We lose our cool. Say things we shouldn't say. And if we're really honest, that anger goes deeper than the outbursts. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. But an empty tomb proves that he can give all victory in every, situ- every situation and every sin that so easily ensnares us. So if that is you and if that is us, then be encouraged today that King Jesus is sitting there saying, I can bring victory in your life in that area. James is looking at these professing believers like you're not listening, you're, 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 you're talking too much. You're not being slow to anger. You're easily agitated. You are like a grenade with the pin pulled, waiting to explode. And people around you know that. And then he goes and he, he addresses only the anger in verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He doesn't really talk about slow to speak. Quick listen, he says, hey, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This behavior that is in your life is not something that God approves us. It is not a picture of what we want to provide, and we all know that. As a follower of Christ here at Northwest, what do we have to do? I think when we go through that text, James is just looking at us going, hey, listen, guys, I just want you to admit it. I don't want you to hide it. I want you to open it up. And then here's some encouragement in verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. I want you to put it away. And I want you to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So if he's sitting here and he's going like this, he says, since all of what I have told you, I'm asking you right now to put away all of the filth that you have in your life. I'm asking you to set that aside. I'm asking you to get rid of it. I know that some of you have mud rooms in your houses. You know, we just had a lot of snow, and so what happens is you don't want the snow pants, the gloves, the hat, the jacket with all of the wet snow coming into the house. And so what do we do? We say, hey, I need you to go to the mud room, or I need you to go to the garage. I need you to take that filth off. I need you to take it off outside. Listen to me, listen to me. I don't want it in the house. I want you to take it off outside. I want you to put it off. I want you to cast it away. That's exactly what James is telling us right now. He said, I need you to go to the mud room right now. I need you to go there. I need you to take this stuff off. And then James then brilliantly directs them to what he then wants to reshape them with. (laughs) And it just comes down to the one message of the Bible. I want you to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. What that means is these are things that we are intentionally doing. These are things that we are and we are intentionally being a part of. 
So again, the rub right here is going, hey, you have said, I am a follower of God. And then what happens is he's saying, hey, there's this filth that's going on in your life. I really need to ask you a question. Are you truly a follower of Christ? And then he directs them to what? He says, I'm going to direct you to the implanted word. I want you to receive. I want you to go ahead. I want you to grab hold of this. I want you to hold on to it. And I want you to hold on to what? The implanted word. It is a deposit in your soul so that you might know and that you might do. So I want you to take this implanted word, which is able to do what? It is able to save your souls. That's what it's able to do. It's directing you to who Christ is. This honestly is the point of this passage right here. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. Just humbly take upon the message of the gospel. He does not give us how-to lessons. He just says run to the gospel. And I would say this to you right now. If you're here today, and I have prayed for you all week long, all of you just in general, but if you're here today and you are not a follower of God, you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, I would sit there and say, this right here is my encouragement to you. This is an application of the word that it says today, that you would put off this and that you would run and you would run to a, a God whose arms are wide open to the implanted word that would look, let you know that you can be forgiven and you can be saved. That you would do that and that you would do that today. But again, again, I said this was going to be redundant and I know, but, but we must remember the context of the book. We must remember the context of, of James, who he's writing to. He's writing to followers or those that believe they're followers. And he is really putting up a mirror to their life and saying, I hear you say this, but I'm seeing you do this. And so I've got to ask the question, is it real? trying to help us to understand the context of where we are. They think they're right with God. They think they're right with God because they're hearers of the word. They're receiving the implant. They're receiving this word. They're receiving this word. They're receiving this word. And then verse 22 blows this up. Verse 22 says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. And why do we need to do that? Because here's the why. Because you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself. And James is like a lifeguard that's on the beach. And he's looking out there. And he's seeing some people swim who he loves, his beloved. And they're out there and they're swimming. And he sees some kind of shark coming or a riptide coming. And he's jumping up and down and saying, no, 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 no. I don't want you to go that way. There is danger that's going over there. He's like a dad that's standing in the driveway whose child is getting ready to run out into the, into the street with a car that's coming and the dad's screaming his head off saying, no, stop. And James is doing the same thing with great love and great emphasis to sit there to those of us in the church and say, I need you to understand. Ask the question, define your relationship. Are you truly a follower? A measure to know that you truly are a follower is if you are hearing, here it is, and doing. And we're not suggesting that that's a works salvation. What we are suggesting is that it is Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. You hear me clearly and I think you know that. It's by grace that we are saved 
and evidence that we have a relationship is verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if we are only doing one, we are deceiving ourselves. And James doesn't want that. Jesus doesn't want that. And I would tell you this right now as one of your pastors here, I don't want that for you. He is saying that you have all this accumulated information in your head, but you do not do, then are you truly a believer? He says that I want you to receive the word of God and I do not want there to be a void of obedience in your life. So if we go back to Matthew at the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying I want you to build your life on the rock, but what you're building your life on is you're building it on the sand and James is confronting that. And I think anytime we go into a relationship and we have a text that allows us to really sit there and, and go through the DTR, you know, define the relationship, you ask serious questions. And God, through his Holy Spirit, can use these questions to really affirm and to really confront. And we trust him for doing just that. He gives us a picture. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He is like he who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But, here's the difference, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who, who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So we'll start with the mirror. In biblical times, mirrors were very few and far between. If you were to look at your reflection, it would be incredibly rare for you to do that. And if you were to do it, it would be basically on a piece of metal. You would hold it up and you would see what you would look like. On average, you see people in the world look at themselves about eight times a day in a mirror. Biblical times speaking right now, that is incredibly rare where you would almost ever see yourself. So he's using this illustration. He'd have a piece of metal, take a look at themselves. They'd go, uh, put it down. And you would forget because you wouldn't be constantly looking at it again. You would forget. The word forget is not the word, oh, I don't remember. Yet, meaning I, I rid it. I put it aside. I intentionally say, I don't want to see that. I don't want to. So the analogy is you come to, we come to church each and every week and we hear the word taught, we sing it, and we live it out. And then we leave as if it has no impact on the way that we live. Once we leave. And in verse 25, he gives us a picture of what this looks like for the disciple. But he says, he looks at the law of liberty. Not the 613 laws of the Jewish faith that you had to live by in order to follow God. The law of liberty is pure and simple as another word for the gospel. He's simply saying, but if you look at the gospel, if you look at your life, if you look through the lens of the gospel, you will say, I heard that message. I, I am going to apply that message. I am living like someone who believes what they have confessed. I'm going to be a hearer and I'm going to be a doer. And then he gives this great exhortation and promise, which is basically goes back to the Sermon on the Mount. He said, if you do this, if you are one that hears but, but and does not forget, but who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Blessed means the presence of God. That was our whole January series where we talked about the beauty of coming into the presence of God. If you're going to be a hearer and you're going to be a doer, then I need you to get ready for something. You are going to experience the presence of God like you've never experienced him in your life. And if there's a lack of presence in your life, 
then I would have to ask the question, are you just hearing and not doing, not applying what we hear? But Psalm 1 says this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He feeds off of that. That's what Psalm 1 says. So here's our challenge. Here's our challenge for today. There is a hearer who hears and forgets, and there's a hearer who hears and does. It is not working for our salvation. It is doing good works as a response to the work of Christ. As we go into a time of, okay, what are we going to do with this message? What are we going to do? James is like the lifeguard screaming to us right now going, listen, I need you to evaluate where you stand. It's too important not to address this. It's too important for us, Northwest, not to address this issue. And over the next couple of minutes, just with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and I'm going to ask you 12 to 15 questions. And here's what I trust. Again, I'm going to say it to you one more time. I trust the Lord to save you if you need to be saved, and I trust the Lord to assure you if that's the case. Here's the first. Are you a Christian? Have you humbly received the gospel of truth? If that answer is no, I would ask, what is it that is preventing you from saying yes to Jesus right now? Maybe you said yes to the first question. Yes, I am a believer. Is your faith in Christ evidenced in your life? Would other godly people affirm that about you? Are you willing to ask them? Does your daily life align with your profession of faith? Would people in your family or on your team at work actually be surprised to learn that you are a Christian? Is there any chance that right now you are being deceived? If the Holy Spirit of God has just revealed to you that you truly are not a believer, then what is holding you back from right now repenting and believing in him so that you can officially and you can firmly and you can confidently say, yes, I am a believer. If you are here today and God has given you great assurance, then I would ask in what ways are you living in light of your true identity? And in what ways do you need help to do that? James wants us to be hearers and doers and evaluate our relationship. We trust God in his spirit to move. Let us, Northwest, be hearers and doers of the word for our community, for, for our good and for God's glory and so that his name can be famous in this area. We do this because of him. We do this for him. You respond as God would have you to respond. Listen to the words of amazing grace for his glory and our good. I love you deeply.